From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the show. Good to be with you on this Back to School Monday. I think pretty much everyone uh, is going back to school, is back to school, is somewhere near school, is thinking about school. Uh, so if you're on the road still, <laughs> thanks to that, uh, then I'm sorry, but you can listen to us on the show today. So that is a, a very pleasant uh, uh, compensation, if I do say so myself. Uh, and by the way, if you are into the school vibe, then Chai FM is going to be going back to school this January because you can join us for our first day of school live broadcast this Tuesday, that's tomorrow, uh, when the morning mayhem is going to be coming to your radio from Red Hill School. So don't be late, school will be in. Uh, and please be seated by 6 a.m. So, uh, yeah, if you've uh, ever wanted to see what Red Hill School is like from the inside, then uh, you can do that because uh, we'll be going there and on Chaivem. Great show lined up for you today. I'm excited to say all sorts of things. Uh, we're going to be following up on a story we started last week uh, talking about flights from the Philippines to Israel. You might recall that, uh, that the Philippines was trying to fly straight to Israel. But it turns out that the African continent is not far behind. Uh, Rwanda uh, is looking to do the same thing. So we're going to be finding out about that. We'll be talking about Moshe Ahrens. He died uh, last week. Uh, interesting guy, f- author of a couple famous books, Bigley Kudnick. Uh, and we're going to be looking at his life. We're going to be looking, if you've ever wanted to buy a piece of coral, or a whole coral reef. We're going to be finding out this Israeli group that helps you do that. And the sheep that are eating in Tel Aviv. So uh, those are all the stories that we're going to be talking about. But before we do that, uh, you know, I was just sitting uh, at home over the weekend. And uh, I went a little bit through the, what was going on politically in the country. And, of course, the big thing uh, this weekend was Cyril Ramaphosa uh, at the ANC's January the 8th statement. January 8th statement is like their birthday statement for the ANC, and they will often uh, put out stuff there that, you know, they um, are wanting to do. Now, the January 8th statement uh, used to be a much bigger deal because they used to say a lot more, but as people used to criticize it more and more, it's become kind of more bland and a little bit uh, soggy, one might say. So it's not as cool as it always was, but still people do read it and do look into it to see what is the ANC crystal ball for 2019, what is going to be coming uh, at us from a policy perspective. And uh, some people talking about the fact that the ANC wants to uh, come after people's pension funds and make sure that pensions uh, are, are have to be invested in a certain way. So I think that will be something that's quite interesting. Uh, couple other you know standard things that, that that you see every single year and of course the one thing which which sort of stood out for me was that uh, the president Ramaphosa has this line in it um, and, and you see this often with the January 8th statement and also uh, with the state of the nation and the budget which is coming up uh, in in January and February and in March and, and basically it's the same thing more or less every single time where uh Osoro Ramaphosa got up and he said, you know, condemning uh, human rights abuses against the Palestinians, uh, number one, and, uh, and, and number two, uh, that South Africa is going to be, you know, uh, a big part of this, and 
you know, does, uh, condemns occupation, all of this, that's kind of very standard. But they added in another line, uh, to say that also South Africa wanted to be part of the solution and wanted to do whatever they could to help bring about a two-state solution and peace between both sides. And that's not language we've seen for a while. Uh, so I think that that was quite good. But it kind of got me thinking just in a general sense, you know, we've got an election coming up. It's coming up in May this year. And people are going to have to start thinking about who are they voting for and what issues are they voting on. So, I mean, we've seen a lot of people worried about the land issue. Uh, we've, a lot of people worried about education. Uh, a lot of people worried about uh, health care. All of these kinds of things are key in people's minds uh, this year. And and what I wanted to know from you is how important is foreign policy? Uh, in what you are doing and thinking when you are voting in in the elections. So, you know, obviously on a station like this, Israel is a particularly uh, important um, point. But the truth is, is that uh, the foreign affairs or the, what they call the international relations and cooperation uh, department is one of the biggest departments uh, in our government. It has missions all over the world. They've got embassies everywhere, and all of those things are staffed by ambassadors who are supposed to be going out there and re- representing us as South Africans. And, of course, we have a seat at the United Nations, not just at the United Nations, at the UN Security Council. Uh, you know, there's the five permanent members, and then there's ten uh, non-permanent members, which change, and we are going to be sitting on that uh you know, South Africa took its time to talk about the, the issue of the Congolese election uh, and what is our role with the AU. We say we're part of BRICS. What does that mean? Uh, we have a relationship with America, but at the moment it doesn't seem very good. Is that is that uh, something which we're messing up on? Can we, you know, should we be doing better things? Of course, there's the Chinese and the Russians uh, and the rest of the continent. And so it takes up a great deal of South African time and money. Uh, you know, you and I and Craig... Uh, and Vusi are all putting money in so that we can have a foreign affairs department and so that it can look after our interests abroad and our citizens abroad and, you know, hopefully, I guess, drive the economy and, and drive the spirit of being South African. And so the question I have today for you listeners out there, I'd like to know what role, if any, is foreign affairs and the issue of Israel, if you like, going to be playing in your vote Come uh, May this year, uh, are you going to be thinking about that when you put your tick next to a ballot box? Uh, what do you think of the different parties' foreign affairs uh, perspectives? Uh, the DA versus the ANC versus the ACDP versus COPE versus the FF Plus uh, versus, I don't know, Black First, Land First? Uh, I hope not. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'd be very, very interested to hear what your views are when it comes to foreign affairs of voting. Because some people say, well, it's not something we should worry about. It doesn't affect us uh, that uh, directly. There's other more important things to be voting on. And some people say, look, you know, that's a very key thing. It's very, very important to me. It affects uh, our standing in the world as South Africans. It affects uh, our money, etc. So I want you to weigh in, please. Let us know. Uh, 0618951019. That's 0618951019. That's the WhatsApp line. Uh, it's a, a good one to use. You can SMS us 34519, That is on the SMS line. Tweet us at at FM. And uh, you can also email us info, uh, on air at chaifm.com. Uh, 
on erichhyphen.com. That is correct. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, those are all the options. Uh, that's what we want to answer the question today. If, if you like, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, I want to know what role is foreign affairs playing in your voting thinking, uh, as we start to think about voting, uh, coming up, uh, in the new year and this election and who's going to be voting what there's going to be politicians coming glow hopefully even on this show we're going to be having various people uh, having the opportunity to talk to you about your vote and what it means so that is uh, yeah, quite crucial and i want to hear what you have to think are about that now something else that uh, i wanted to ask you uh, or tell you about is i spent my sunday uh, or some of it anyway, watching a film. Uh, it's a Sutu film, and it's a Western. It was released last year already, uh, but it is a, a, it's a Western set in the Eastern Cape, uh, and it's a South African Western, which is in Sutu. Can you believe that? Uh, I guess in the, in the Eastern Cape they do speak quite a lot of Sutu, so that makes a lot of sense. And... Um, and it was a great film. It was a bit slow. If you like slow Western films, then definitely this is your vibe. It was a bit slow for my liking. But it was great. You had a cast. Uh, you had, uh, I mean, I suppose you need a cast if you're going to be making a movie. But when I say you have a cast, it was like an all South African cast. And they, they all spoke uh, Sutu m- more or less most of the time. And it was a very South African story. You know, it was a mayor and uh, some gangsters and a guy who... Uh, did something he shouldn't have and fled the town and comes back uh, and has to deal with a new reality and uh, and what's going on and it uh, it l- absolutely beautifully shot like uh, you know the eastern cape is unbelievably beautiful uh and uh, and so you know you can actually see uh, all the the hills and the valleys uh, and the plains in that area which i thought was beautiful and interestingly i didn't realize but it actually has an uh, a guy from israel who was the main producer of the show so i'm hoping this year that we'll be able to get him on and talk about it uh, if you have the opportunity go check it out five fingers for marseille uh don't be put off by uh, the subtitles turns out that Sutu is a great language when it comes to westerns it's got kind of a gruff vibe about it uh which is perfect for westerns and uh it's got all the great south african actors that you've seen on soapies and and all that kind of thing so i, I really enjoyed it and I think it's definitely worthwhile doing. We'll be taking a short break. We'll come back. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, Rwanda. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. I see we've got a WhatsApp coming in here. Uh, we've got a, a question. Uh, well, not a question. Uh, I don't, sorry, listen, I don't really have your name. Uh, but... Oh, it's Rodney. Rodney, thank you for sending that in. Rodney says, foreign affairs will definitely play a role in voting, especially regarding travel to foreign countries due to the fact that we need visas to go to any first world country. Now, that isn't something I had thought of uh, initially, but I actually think it's an excellent point. You know, definitely some of uh, the we've seen some mismanagement uh, of uh, the visa regime in in this country, uh, you know, in, in Africa in particular. Uh, well, not in particular, but as well. Like Kenya, for example, I think we need visas now to go to, which we never needed before, uh, New Zealand. And part of that is to do with how other countries see us as people, which is not ideal, but also how, you know, our passports and security and all that sort of thing. It's not entirely our fault. For example, the UK has been cutting down on people, um, which has uh, nothing to do with us. It's got to do with all their Brexit nonsense and all that kind of thing. 
so, so that is one thing. But I, I agree with you. Why should I have to fork out gazillions of cash every single time I want to board a plane somewhere? Um, and why can't we have a better visa regime? I see that, uh, we have been opening up visas now to like Iran and Saudi Arabia and various Gulf states, which is, uh, you know, great, uh, cause everyone wants to go there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that is a good point, Rodney. Thank you very much. And if you, anybody else has a, a view on this, uh, particularly I'm interested in what do you think of different parties, foreign policy, uh, platforms? Uh, you know, obviously the, the, people have different views, but there is actually on foreign affairs quite a different view on different things. The EFF, as usual, is far more um, aggressive in its stance. They've got the ANC versus the DA stance versus the ACDP or COPE. Uh, so I'm also interested in what you think about that. Uh, you know, because from my perspective, uh, one, foreign affairs is something which Parliament has a big uh, impact on because they have parliamentary committees and people can say things. Uh, and uh, the legislators have a big role there. So uh, it's, it's also, for me, quite important from that perspective because even if you have one legislator uh, who's saying something different from one of the other different parties, it is uh, quite effective uh, in doing in doing that. So talking foreign affairs and international relations, uh, last week we were talking about open skies uh, that uh, – um, open skies policy of Israel, which is basically that people come and fly to Israel as much as possible, which I guess helps with tourism and getting people there, etc. And we were talking about the fact that the Philippines was making a request to have a direct flight from Manila all the way to Tel Aviv, which had to go through Saudi Arabia. And they were sort of discussing if that could be a thing. It turns out the African continent is not far behind because Israel and Rwanda are going to be opening direct flights between the two countries in a couple of months. Uh, aviation agreements uh, have just been signed with the Transportation Ministry uh, in Kigali amid a boost to do, to uh, excuse me a bid to boost diplomatic ties with Africa. Uh, as you might know, Rwanda has been a very important uh, central player in trying to figure out a uh, an Africa policy for Israel. We've spoken about that quite often on the show. And it comes after uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Rwandan President Paul Kagame agreed in September to open embassies in each country uh, as there has been a large amount of diplomatic activities uh, in Africa, especially with other African countries such as Chad. So, uh, as part of that, they've signed this deal, and Rwanda Air intends to start flying its new Kigali Tel Aviv route in a few months. And uh, if you go on social media, you can check out Joseph Ratabana, uh, and uh, he's got a big picture there with uh, with the Minister of Transportation, Yisrael Katz, and uh, they're going to be uh, heading into Ben-Gurion Airport and seeing uh, what's going on. So... That is something which I think is quite interesting. And uh, I hope it also frees up Rwanda's uh, airspace. I remember trying to book a ticket to Rwanda at some point, And it was like the same cost to fly to Rwanda as you were going to go to the UK, which is absurd. It's like half the distance. Uh, and yet, you know, all these you know, all these things were getting in the way. And I think that that's uh, quite a huge problem. 
So, um, yeah, Rwanda uh, connecting with Israel, and hopefully that will, will help out both people. And uh, if you are in Rwanda and you need to do a flight out there, uh, then you won't have a problem, which I think uh, is very very helpful. Uh, yeah, that's the Rwanda side of things. We're going to take a, a short break, play a bit of music, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about the sheep that are keeping Tel Aviv safe. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. 101.95 FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. By the way, that song was Terminal by... Uh, Noah, nice and relaxed on this Monday morning. And uh, we are taking your questions and comments today. I want to know today on the show, what role will foreign affairs be playing in your voting come 2019? WhatsApp us, 0618951019. That is uh, the WhatsApp line. You can SMS us, 34519. uh, Or you can tweet us at KaiFM or email us on air at KaiFM.com. I want to know. What role will foreign affairs be playing when it comes to your voting this 2019? Now, of course, I'm sure a lot of you have been to Tel Aviv, and if not, you've watched it on television, and you will know that it's the part of Israel which is sort of the high-techy part, right? It's a big urban conurbation, there's lots of buildings, you can go to the beach, but not much else. Uh, it's it's really a, a very, very urban part of Israel, unlike Say the other parts, even Jerusalem, which is sort of more rural um, and 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 agricultural, etc. So, imagine my surprise when I opened an article uh, on Israel Twenty One C talking about a herd of sheep. A herd of sheep. That's right. No sacrificing of sheep on this show, please. Uh, a herd of sheep that are grazing regularly. On Napoleon Hill in Tel Aviv's Yarkon Park. Yeah, that's right. So you heard it correctly. 16 sheep and they are grazing in Yarkon Park in Tel Aviv, which is one of the biggest parks actually uh, in Tel Aviv. And it turns out that it's not that uh, someone has decided to uh, pay the border uh, and the sheep have to like hang out in the park or, or anything like that. It's a new project um, with the municipality of Tel Aviv, and a local petting zoo, uh, which is the Ganai Yeshua Park Company. Um, and uh, they own a petting zoo. And the petting zoo includes all sorts of animals, as one uh, might expect. You know, there's uh, you know a variety of uh, geese and ferrets and chickens and peacocks and goats. Uh, and, and part of that is that kids come and they pet the sheep and they see how they work and they... Understand, you know, wool, it's, it's an educational thing. Uh, but in addition to the petting zoo, they have now contracted out the sheep's services to Yarkon Park. And once a week, uh, shepherds take the sheep out and, uh, they, they take them for a walk and they eat, as sheep do, the grass in the area. The reason for this, uh, particular, um, engagement, this once a week walk for the sheep is not only for their own health, uh, but it's being used as a maintenance tool for the Tel Aviv Park because what they do is they eat all the grass, but they don't eat the flowers. And so because they do that, uh, later on the, the, the flowers are actually able to grow up into the area and uh, 
and start restoring some of the natural flora and fauna that uh, have uh, been in the area before, but have had a difficulty, uh, you know, growing up because it's been crowded out by other uh, by other plants. And apparently, visitors really uh, enjoy the sheep because it's kind of unusual. You're going for a walk in an urban park, and there's a bunch of sheep, and there's a professional shepherd uh, who takes them, uh, Asaf Gal. Uh, he is a, a uh, professional herdsman and Tel Aviv uh, resident, and he is accompanied by two border collies because you know you can't have sheep without a sheepdog. And uh, get this: the, sh- the sheepdog's names are Chaos and Fowder. Uh, now that's kind of interesting, as you know, there is this very famous Israeli production called Fowder, and uh, Fowder is just Arabic for Chaos. So basically, he has two dogs called Chaos. And chaos, uh, but there doesn't seem to be too much chaos going on with these sheep. Uh, they seem to be quite happy grazing the grass of Tel Aviv, and uh, you know, making sure that things are uh, eaten correctly. I guess uh, it turns out they want to expand this program to another twenty areas in Tel Aviv uh, as a way of, uh, of 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 restoring the natural landscape. All over the city. So a bunch of hungry sheep doing their bit to keep Tel Aviv clean. I wonder if this could work in South Africa. Uh, you know, we have the wilds, we have Emerentia Dam, we've got, uh, what else do we have? I mean, uh, Melville Copies, not that I think that that needs eating. Um, I'm trying to think where else could use a sheep. Actually, if someone could SMS it in, that would be very helpful. Is there a part of your town or Joburg or wherever that you know of that needs a sheep to help kind of chew up a few things. Let us know 0618951019 or 34519 and uh, you know we'll definitely let the people, the sheep people from Tel Aviv know uh, or maybe just city parks and they can bring in someone to, to chop up all the weeds. Uh, that would be very helpful as well but you know maybe the sheep can do it uh, faster uh, and uh, the sheep don't go on strike. You just have to have to uh, collies called Chaos. Anyway, those are the sheep, and I just thought that that would be a, just a fantastic, c- cool story uh, uh, on on that side of things. We're going to take uh, another break, and uh, we'll be, when we'll be back, we're talking about Guy uh, Moshe Arendt. Stay relevant and up-to-date. This is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is... The new Blue Review. Now, I'm sure a lot of you would have seen last week um, that uh, Moshe Arendt died. Uh, he is was a very famous uh, member of the Israeli uh, establishment and uh, had been a politician and an engineer for many years and also a bit of a, a writer. And it's a little bit old news, I will agree. But uh, I enjoyed his books, so I thought that I would just maybe talk about it for a few minutes on the show, because he was a very interesting guy, uh, is a former Israeli defense minister three times, uh, and uh, a, a liberal Likud veteran. Interestingly, as a right-winger, he used to maintain a a blog or a column at Haaretz, uh, which is kind of uh, uh, kind of an interesting connection that you wouldn't actually uh, see so much, I guess, today. But that's how well he was like, that he could write in Haaretz and be a Likudnik. Uh, he died at the age of 1993, and uh, he he died in his in his sleep. 
uh, in Tel Aviv. And he was known as the gentleman of Israeli politics and uh, was one of the leading representatives of a national liberal and democratic Zionism. This is according uh, to an obit that was written about him. Uh, he's also uh, been seen as being very important in the rise of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, involvement in politics. Uh, and he's regarded as one of the first people to have brought the prime minister into the world of politics uh, because he was the one who named Netanyahu to the Israeli embassy in Washington uh, while he was serving uh, in in that country. So uh, that is uh, quite an uh, interesting Achievement. He worked mostly uh, and initially in the revisionist Zionist movement, which uh, was the basis uh, of uh, the Likud party. And uh, he was very uh, focused on, on rights for all of, uh, all of Israel uh, and its citizens. He went to MIT and uh, also studied in California and then worked in uh, the defense uh, ministry uh, doing a variety of projects, but especially uh, starting the Israeli aerospace industry, which is basically the the program that helped to develop aircraft in Israel, particularly for sort of war purposes uh, in terms of the Israeli Air Force. And uh, he was responsible for creating the Lavi fighter plane, which is kind of like uh, the the cheetah or um, or the Kfir, uh one of those sort of fighter jets, and he helped to. Uh, uh, he helped to create it, and uh, he, he was very important with uh, with that. When, in 1948, he immigrated to Israel, having grown up in the United States, and was part of the Irgun, as I said, the revisionist. And uh, he worked underground to help assist Jews from North Africa uh, to get to Israel and provide self-defense training for Beitar activists in Tunisia, uh, which is, is, is kind of interesting. He was a professor at the Technion uh, Israel Institute of Technology, looking at aeronauticals, uh, which was kind of interesting. And then in 1974, he actually became uh, involved in politics and ran for the Knesset. And over time, basically was uh, the defense minister of Israel and uh, and involved with a lot of different uh, things to do with the Egyptians at the time, dealing with the aftermath of the Lebanon war. Uh, he focused a lot on uh, trying to do some prisoner swaps and that kind of thing. So, you know, all of these things were uh, big issues in, in Israel at the time. Uh, he also uh, was a, a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee. And during the uh, during the years when, <clears throat> when the Intifada was on, he did a lot of work to to explain Israel's position uh, to the world and what was going on. So it was, uh, you know, kind of an, an, had an interesting life and, uh, and someone who, who really contributed a lot to the Jewish people and, and to Israel. And, uh, one of the things which he did in his later years besides writing for Haaretz was that he actually wrote a book, which I actually found absolutely fascinating which was called uh, the the flags over the Warsaw ghetto and in that uh, in that book he talks about the Warsaw ghetto and the uprising there and what's um what's interesting is that sort of you think about all the Jews that were in the the Warsaw ghetto and what they had to do in the uprising and you kind of think well everyone 
everyone that was there sort of got together and finally decided that the Nazis were going to wipe them all out. So they just started to, uh, to, to fight back. And the truth is disturbingly quite different, uh, because what happened was, was that the, the sort of left right divide that you have in Israel today or even in Zionist politics at the time was actually still evident, um, in the fighters at the time. So you had all the left wing fighters, uh, and some of the people who were sort of early pre, uh, Habonim type figures, uh, who eventually became, uh, sort of the heroes of that particular uprising. And they refused point blank to work with the members of Beitar that were part of, um, that, that, that were part obviously of the right wing. And so the ghetto ended up being defended by two different groups. Uh, you had the leftists on the one side and the right wingers and they couldn't come to a compromise, uh, to actually, um, to actually figure out how to defend uh, the ghetto from, or, or, or do something to do with, you know, attack the Nazis or whatever uh, together because there was uh, so much division between them. And I think it's a very interesting point and a, a cautionary tale uh, about the idea of divisions or when, and when division no longer matters because, uh, Events have changed and they never managed to, to get it together. And he wrote this book about flags over the Warsaw ghetto, which is a great book, just kind of detailing, uh, what, what was happening at the time and what people's opinions were. So, uh, uh interesting guy, great life, made a major contribution, was very well respected. And, uh, yeah, just someone who, uh, wrote a great book as well. So if uh, you're into that sort of history, do yourself a favor and, uh, Go read it. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. Indeed it is 101.9 High FM. And I don't know uh, if you've ever had this problem. Uh, one day you woke up and you're like, you know, I'd like to buy, I'd like to buy a coral reef. And then you just don't know where to go to buy your own, uh, coral reef. And, uh, so it's fine because we have you covered on this show. And uh, we're going to let you know how you can do that because uh, there is a group. It's called This Is My Earth or Time, and they recently crowdfunded $30,000. So what's that? $30,000, but uh, nearly half a million rand, uh, much of it from Israelis towards the purchase and protection of a strategic parcel of the turn turn effet atoll and turn effet atoll uh, is uh, in the Caribbean island of the Belize, and it is the largest and most biologically diverse coral reef in the western hemisphere unfortunately destructive and unsustainable development have damaged or destroyed the coral reef and some of the sea grasses and even the mangrove forests uh, that are in the area but hope is on the horizon because thanks to this campaign uh, which is mostly actually being bought up by Israelis um, they are actually going to buy a piece of this place and then uh, basically take it offline you won't be able to uh, buy it if you are a developer and develop it and uh, the founder is professor Uri Shanas and he is a conservation biologist at the University of Haifa Oranim and uh, the funds will enable uh, this group to buy and protect five acres of the Ternefe uh, atoll which is supposed to be absolutely beautiful and they actually have a big video uh, on their website. What's cool about this is that you, all you need to do is donate $1 a year. So that's 18 bucks. That's like, that's all you need. Uh, and, and at the end of the year, everyone who has donated 
get to vote what they want to uh, protect. And uh, and at the end of it, the voting, uh, at the end of the voting rather, then the, the that area gets bought. So in previous years, um, in previous years, they they protect two parcels in in the upper Amazon, and uh, and. And that has then been given over to indigenous people working in collaboration with a local conservation organization who are going to help protect the land. So it's a great model uh, and something which I think is very cool. And I also think it's kind of cool that uh, kids are involved. A lot of kids are, are donating their money, a lot of Israeli kids, uh, to, to doing this. So if you want a piece of coral or a bit of the Amazon uh, to protect in your name, uh, then you can do it. And it could be a great thing for us in South Africa. You know, we have all of these issues with land. Uh, and imagine if people could come together and crowdfund uh, for a piece of land for a community or for uh, conservation purposes or whatever. I think that that would be a, a really amazing thing to do. Uh, and on that note, brings us to the end of the show for today. Hope that you enjoyed listening and uh, engaging with us. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good week. Thank you to Craig for pushing all the big red buttons. Vusi, who does the sound. Mandy, who is the producer of the show. And, of course, to you, dear listener, who tunes in every week. And uh, remember, next week, talking environmentally, uh, it is the Tubishvat show. Uh, it is Tubishvat next week, Monday, so we've got a couple of special guests. We're going to be talking about the origins of the Israeli tomato. I'm looking forward to it already, and I'll chat to you then.